All righty, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining in for the first episode of Kyle's Thoughts, or the reboot, I guess, of it. Today, we are joined by the one and only Hannah Biggs. Hannah, uh, obviously, we know each other pretty well. Uh, We've been friends for a few years, dating for a couple, um, but obviously not everyone's going to know who you are, so please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Hannah. Kyle and I have known each other for, I believe, about six years, according to Facebook, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. And um, so what do you what do you do for work right now? So I am in market research. I work for a company that helps big tech sell software to the government. So I do a lot of market research as it goes to kind of like government priorities. What are they looking to buy? What's the funding situation? What are it's kind of like the business side of government IT initiatives. And is that all you've been doing for work or do you have any like side projects, hustles? I, I branched out into a few side hustle things in the past like year-ish. So right now I'm trying to get into digital marketing. I ran the social, the paid social media for a few local candidates that ran last um, fall in the midterms. Karen Bass, who is now the mayor of LA, Raul Ruiz, who is uh, been reelected into Congress for Coachella Valley, um, Lauren Taylor, and a few California propositions. I ran the paid media campaigns on meta so that's facebook and instagram as well as google search youtube programmatic that type of thing and i'm trying to like branch into kind of the digital marketing social media management space now very nice and you do also have your your candle business right Mm -hmm. i sell candles on etsy crystal room studio (laughs) very nice so talking about doing kind of like the social media marketing and getting into that space i mean what was kind of the i guess initial interest in like wanting to even do that because i know you talked about you know you did market research for kind of your your real job your your adult career Mm -hmm. job um so where did this kind of side interest come from so as i mentioned i kind of got into it through the political thing and that's you know what i went to college for what we moved to dc for and so but once i was in that role i really like resonated with the digital marketing aspect of it in a way that i haven't in any role that i've held before like there's something i really like about the kind of creative aspects of marketing like how many times a person has to see an ad to act on it what draws people in visually as far as the audio kind of like what makes people respond to it and yeah nice so yeah let's talk about that so you said moving to dc was kind of the Mm -hmm. initial you know interest i guess in kind of politics and we've kind of both share that um you know obviously we were the same major um public policy and political science and uh really interested in kind of getting to work more hands-on i guess in the the things that matter to people and what can impact their lives um so when uh when was the move to dc that was right after we graduated i want to say we moved out june-ish july 2020 so it was right when the world was real weird because of covid and what was kind of the, I guess, like deciding factor for you where you were like, yeah, I want to I want to do this. I want to move now as opposed to, you know, in a year or two years or maybe never because, you know, the world was pretty much at a standstill. Mm-hmm. So be- right before COVID, I was kind of split. I'm like, you know, what do we do post-graduation jitters type thing? And I was like, I am either going to stay in California or go to D.C., basically, because that's kind of like the gut feeling I had of those could be two routes. And then 
I think that our path to DC just kind of like fell into a place a little bit smoother. I was kind of ready for a new adventure to try something new. And I was like, if I want to build a life in politics, I think that DC is the place to start. And as far as going when it was COVID times, I think that I, like a lot of people, did not anticipate that it would go on as long as it did. And so I was kind of of the mind of like, okay, we'll get there, get set up, be comfortable. And then when there's so many job like openings in like the spring or December or whatever we originally thought, then we're going to be in like a good position to go. And obviously that is not how it turned out, but in its own way, it worked out. (laughs) And so what did you, what was like the, the initial experience, I guess, like getting into the city and so... Because I, I know that you had really never really been there or lived there for an extended period of time. I think we talked about, you know, you had maybe visited when you were younger and mm-hmm. then through school, but never really lived in kind of a, a city city like that. Like, what was the initial, I guess, res- like feelings and, and vibe that you got when you were there and we walked into the uh, the old Airbnb and set everything down? Yeah. So I had visited DC once in like eighth grade, I think. And so as far as how the city went, I didn't have many expectations or like thoughts about the vibes. I like kind of remembered, but I just figured that my account of it was off on account of being like 12. But um, I remember like driving into the city and walking into the Airbnb where we were first staying and was very, very anxious. I was like, okay, so we're doing the thing. It's all on us. Like, I don't know. There's, it's kind of like being an entrepreneur in its own way. Cause like, there's no blueprint of what to do next. And you spend, you know, 22 years in school where people just kind of like give you assignments and then you follow the directions. But like, it very much felt like stepping out onto a cliff in a way and not in like an all bad way. Like I wasn't consumed by like the anxiety or bad feelings or anything, but there definitely were moments where I was like, okay, this is very overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. Mind castle a little bit. And it was also just really unnerving, like seeing the city in the state of COVID. Like Mm. you hear all about how like, oh my God, you can't even get on the red line because there's so many tourists and people have to stand in the metro. And I'm like, I'm the only one in this metro car right now. And it was almost dystopian to see, I think, particularly the capital like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember thinking about it, like it almost felt like it was like a post-apocalyptic event or something had happened, right? Like mm-hmm. walking down the streets of like Chinatown, like going to work at the yard house and like seeing not another person the entire mm-hmm. time was like very off-putting for a city that normally, like you said, is like packed, like like pack packed, like New York levels sometimes even of mm-hmm. like congestion and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of expanding more on like kind of the entrepreneur aspect of it and, and really like, you know, the fear of kind of just like jumping into it. I mean, where do you think like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who oftentimes think, you know, that they have an opportunity or they have a chance to to move somewhere or kind of take a risk. Do you, do you think that it was worth it? Is if, and if it was worth it, what do you think you would have done differently now knowing all that you know today? Mm-hmm. I definitely think the move to DC was worth it. Although we went out there and we stayed about two years. And so I think a lot of people kind of interpret the move back to California as like, oh, it didn't work, but I don't really view it like that at all. I think that going to DC was a really important step for both of us, both personally and professionally. Um, I think that stepping outside of your comfort zone and risk-taking should be done in a way that is 
calculated and smart, but is definitely something that is necessary for success. There's a lot of like, I think, self-trust that was built and my ability to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to pick up all my stuff and restart in this new city. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that I was able to pull it off in the way that I had a job and friends and had like kind of made a life there. And so definitely worth it. Um, things I would do differently. I don't know. It's it's like there were obviously some career stuff that could have gone a little bit smoother for me if I had some if I had like 2020 vision. But honestly, like if I could just wave a magic wand and make stuff different, I don't think I would like I don't know. I'm a, I'm a believer in like fail fast, go through the hard stuff early. And I think I did. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really big like point there, too, is that like so many people I feel like are oftentimes paralyzed by like the fear of failure and Mm -hmm. like they are so afraid of failing that like they don't even take the first step Mm -hmm. and really i think what we learned i mean at least from my perspective was that like failing is is almost in like key point in in Mm -hmm. learning and kind of growing and and becoming kind of who you are and your career and your development etc is like if we didn't fail we wouldn't have really had to adapt or learn how to overcome kind of like the new obstacles that arose right Mm -hmm. and so i think like that was kind of a real eye-opener for for me, I know, especially when we were in the city is just like, I mean, the point when we first moved there, right. And then we were applying like, God, 20, 30, 40 jobs a day, just living on LinkedIn, just on Indeed, just anything, please, God, like, give me a job. Yeah. Like I have no fucking money. I put all the savings I had to buy this stupid fucking Airbnb with mushrooms growing out of the ground. And now we're here. Mm-hmm. What the hell? And getting those like congressional internship interviews and then not getting the position just like was so tough. It was, mm-hmm. it was tough. Right. And I'd really never seen failure in, in a way like that. Honestly, at any point in my life or to yeah. that degree where it's like, you know, I, I thought I was really qualified. I, I had all the right answers. I thought they went really well. Um, the person I interviewed with seemed to be like really vibing and everything was great, but then didn't get a call back or got told, you know, someone else got picked or you're applying and you see people with their masters and their juris doctorates and all this stuff. And it's like, how am I ever going to compete on the level of these people for an unpaid fucking internship? Like I, I wasn't even trying to like get, you know, anything crazy. Um, and so then eventually, you know, taking the L as it would be, then going back into the service industry and like serving food during a fucking pandemic in a city that like <laughs> we didn't know anybody. And that was the only way we we're going to make it. Um, but, you know, obviously it all worked out. And I think that there's like so much to be learned from that in the sense that like, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today and I wouldn't be where I was today if we didn't take the step mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of put the fear of failure aside and say, yeah, I, I might fail. I, that's a very real possibility, you know, and that was something that I said too before I left was like, I'm going out there with no real plan. Like, I got an idea of what I want to do and what I want to work at, but I have no idea how it's going to pan out. And it completely could be a failure. But I think that it's necessary to kind of like push yourself and see really what you're capable of and what you could do outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I think if I, you know, to answer my own question, I guess, would be if someone was like thinking about moving or or going and taking like a big leap, I'd say just do it. Right. Yeah. It's like the worst thing that happens is you fail. Okay. So what? You're back to like where you were if you would have never done anything anyways. Like there's literally yeah. so little risk involved in the big picture, especially if you're like young in your twenties or like right out of college and you're thinking about like doing something new, doing something crazy, just fucking try it. Like you never know. Yeah. It might work out, you know? 
And if it doesn't, like, hopefully you learn something. And I think that in the same like entrepreneur sense, I think fail hard and fail fast is like definitely the the number one takeaway there. Um, so speaking of that a little bit, I mean, do you see yourself kind of going more towards striking it out on your own? Or do you think the, you know, the future for you is going to be more corporate trying to climb like the ladder and, and doing things the more, I guess, traditional set way? As of now, I see myself more striking out on my own. Um, as mentioned, I'm like really getting into the the digital marketing mm-hmm. stuff and also just kind of like as I've grown and have learned a lot more about money, I knew very, very little about money and just kind of like financially educating myself a little bit. I'm like, there are like really good things about to being a contractor and freelancing. I don't plan on giving up my corporate job for a while, one, because I like it. But two, also there's like scary things like the recession and stuff. However, in like five, 10 years, I could easily see myself as like a full-time um, like freelancer. And so expand on that for me about like kind of like financial knowledge, I guess. Like what what do you, what is so important about like learning about money in that sense? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that like, in the least braggy way possible, I hadn't really ever had to be concerned about money until we moved to DC. And I believe I moved out with about $6,000 and DC will eat your money fast. And it was kind of a thing where I, you know, for the first time in my life was living paycheck to paycheck. And before I was kind of like, you know, if you're all consumed with money, then you're just capitalistic, materialistic. And I'm like, Um, actually money in our current society, unfortunately does buy options, opportunity, freedom, fun. And so it is very important to kind of like, you know, be aware of what's happening because like in this world, there's a lot, like if you don't, like, even if you don't use the strategies to kind of like make money, other people will try to use them on you. And so I do think that it's important to like, you know, I started by reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and um, just like I read a few books and, you know, just got started with like some baby investing. And I'm still by no means like any type of expert, but it does take up like a bigger portion of my brain than it used to. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What are some of those like strategies that you talk about that you say, you know, people could use against you if you're not going to use them for yourself to make money? So I was I spend more time on TikTok than I'd like to admit. And I see like and also getting into social media management myself. I'm just able to see just like exactly how many like scammers there are out here and just how much of like social media and marketing just is a stage. And so there are like I don't know exactly how to put this, but like um, just just so many like not buying into like trends and just kind of like recognizing when you're being influenced, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a big point. And I think that's something that, you know, being in sales is something that like I really learned a lot about too in the last couple of years is that it's, it's quite amusing how many people think like they can't be influenced by marketing, mm-hmm. by advertising, by targeted messaging, right? They're like, oh, like that stuff would never work on me. And then, you know, they see the same Instagram ad for maybe a few months and all of a sudden they're adding it to the cart. And so mm-hmm. it's like, no, they, they do it because it works, right? And unfortunately yeah. for a, a lot of people, I think they 
don't realize that like we as humans are not all that unique like we think we are and you're actually pretty simple and you can be programmed and kind of trained to have like certain responses to the same type of uh, stimuli and things that like really just kind of get us going mm-hmm. um i think a, a, a good segue to that is like politics right like there's a reason why the main political parties have hot button issues that they won't ever really do anything about seriously mm-hmm. um for example uh, a big one you know for the republican party for forever really was the abortion thing like it was so it was such a key issue for them to run on to fundraise to get people riled up about mm-hmm. about you know oh you know that they're the democrats are murdering babies and so you know if you put us in we're gonna make sure that never happens again and I think that's kind of a, a similar thing that you see on the other side. Flip side, I'd say, I'd say you know, gun reform for the Democrats is another mm-hmm. big one. They always want to chirp on about, oh, we're going to, you know, ban AR-15s or we're going to do, you know, background checks, et cetera. But they never actually gets done, right? It's just always kind of something that just gets brought up again and again and again. But it's enough to get people to donate. It's enough to get people riled up. It's enough to get you angry and frustrated. And I think so much of marketing now uh, at least from what I've been seeing is more focusing on kind of those kind of emotions of moving people towards fear, mm-hmm. fear and anger rather than like the joy of a product. Do you think that that's something that is also being seen, you know, kind of in like a more broader sense on like TikTok and other social media trends? Are you seeing kind of more like inflammatory, I guess, content that's like going viral or what have you noticed? Exactly. The two biggest, the two most like influential emotions in humans are hope and fear. And yeah, to your point, I see both of those being played out both in like commercial marketing and kind of like political polarization strategies. Um, I see fear in kind of like the emails we get that get us all riled up. Like we just need this one more donation. We just need this one more seat to be able to like, um, you know, help this policy issue. And then I also on TikTok will see, I think there's kind of like an uptick right now and kind of like new age spirituality and people being like, America is poisoning you mm. with the food. At least that's like a, a thing that I've seen. And that's not to say that America doesn't have poor regulations around food like we absolutely do. But I do see very much a fear mongering that goes on with it too in TikTok where people will just be like, you are literally buying poison and we'll show like all these things that are like illegal in other countries. And it's, I don't know, there's got to be a middle ground. <laughs> there could be some truth, I guess. So this is kind of always the like, hard part with me with these like kind of fringe people is that like there's a little bit of truth baked into the crazy because like i have seen a lot of stuff too where people would be like oh like i moved to europe for like a couple months and lost like 15 pounds like doing nothing like just eating the food that they have there and so i think there might be something there where it's like here you know we kind of just fill everything with like cornstarch and high fructose corn syrup and a bunch of like nonsense you know and obviously like being a diabetic like looking at ingredients is kind of like a a thing that i have to do a lot of the time to like see what's in stuff and yeah it it would be shocking to i think a lot of people if they actually like looked and saw how much sugar and carbs and just nonsense is added to like a lot of the foods where you're like what what is that even in there for like it doesn't do anything for me um but at the same time how much of it is like legitimate poison i don't know i don't Mm -hmm. know but talk uh, you know a little bit more about like this new age spirituality because i do kind of see this as like a do you because i feel like it's almost like a counterculture to traditional religion right Mm -hmm. like christianity is on the way out um it just is like year over year you know people are kind of becoming less and less um 
the religiosity metric, if you want to use that from poli sci or public policy, is going down. But I do feel like people are becoming more spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. right? I see a lot more things about, you know, um, star charts and and crystals and meditating and kind of like being at one in peace with yourself and and that kind of thing. I mean, what is kind of your experience with that realm? Yeah, so I definitely dip my toes into the kind of like newer like spirituality stuff. I don't like believe in horoscopes with a 100% like this is true. But I also read my horoscope a lot of the time and kind of like reflect on it. So I don't completely count it out either. You know, as my like candle store, um, I definitely use like particular like herbs and crystals that kind of like go together for specific reasons. Like the lavender one is for relaxation. Um, I guess my issues with it more are when people kind of use the fear mongering aspect to like make a profit. So like I see a lot of like take this type of like vitamin or moss or this type of thing and like you'll be so like wired and like awake and Mm. like I don't know it like definitely there's definitely like a commercialization and I think like fear-mongering to it because like I've absolutely been caught up and like oh I can't really concentrate that's probably because I'm like eating too much sugar not taking care of myself and like if I get like these vitamins then my brain will be you know, more active, but like, then you actually kind of like try the stuff and it never quite does what it says. I feel like that's been a common like issue with like dieting for years, right? Is like, everyone always has like the new like miracle pill or whatever that's like supposed to like help you lose weight. And it's so easy. And all you got to do is take it and it'll make you feel full or whatever. Right. I mean, there's like entire aisles of every store that's filled with this crap. Um, And I think Oftentimes, like, everybody's trying to look for kind of a, a shortcut to to the results that they want without having to kind of like flip their lives upside down. And so that's kind of where they lean towards. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that it's kind of seeming to like take a place in like the spirituality thing where it's like if you buy the right um, crystal or if you buy mm-hmm. the right uh, herb or scent or you burn this thing, like you will get X, Y, Z result. I just feel like it, mm-hmm. to your point, right? It's like it's at that same like nature that kind of like the the dieting the supplement industry the fitness industry has kind of always been guilty of is now like mm-hmm. creeping its way into this and i almost feel if it's because you know there's kind of like the body positivity movement and so many people were kind of like pushing back on this like insistent need to be like super ultra thin right like thick thick girls were in again or apparently that's out i don't know um and so i'm thinking like okay well maybe this is like a new way for them to kind of target like this market right because I don't know if, if you're familiar with this, but I was read a stat that um, 80% of advertising goes targeted towards women. Mm-hmm. And so if you buy ads that you will pay a lot more if you're targeting women than if you target men, because women are so much more likely to buy a product, et cetera. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe this could be the capitalist or the way that the market's kind of looking and saying like, okay, how do we capitalize on these new age women who they're not really religious. They're not really focused on like super dieting and kind of this kind of stuff. Oh, but they seem to be interested in this. So Mm -hmm. let's sneak in kind of like the same old practices here. Um, I just don't know, like, what is the answer to that? Like, how do we, I guess, like keep passions and hobbies just that and not turn them into like hustle grind culture and everything's got to be for making money and everything's got to be for X, Y, Z result. Yeah, I was just about to say that the reason that is is because of capitalism. So if something can be capitalized, then it will. 
And I think that that's just kind of the spirituality niche of it. Like you said, there's that in every single hobby. I'm sure if you get into like the kind of like fitness niche, then there's always like a new protein powder pill source of food type of clothes is going to help you, whatever. I think that exists in like pretty much every interest just in our, like everyone just wants to make money. Um, I think that the way around that would be like personal awareness and kind of like getting people to see the value in taking enjoyment in something without monetizing it. For example, like just because you like painting, well, if you want to sell your paintings, that's great for you. But like you can, you're allowed to just paint for the sake of it and not turn like care about how it turns out. Like I don't like the majority of my paintings to be real, but I've been painting a lot because it is a calming, soothing, creative activity for me. Mm-hmm. And I think like just kind of like making people aware that like there's a lot of value into just kind of like exploring hobbies for the sake of it. And I think that because people are so stressed in this society, you know, I think it's like 80 something percent of Americans can't handle a like thousand dollar emergency. And so of course, if people are stressed about like short-term problems, then they're going to be like, yes, it's pretty privileged of you to sit up on your little ivory tower and tell me to have fun painting. Like, thank you so much for the advice. (laughs) And like, I totally get that. But I do think that capitalism keeps us in this loop by always keeping us desperate. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I just looked it up right now. 63% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Which is like, that's insane. And that mm-hmm. that's not even like the emergency fund thing, which has already been an issue forever. I mean, I think that like the same point, like 70 something percent of people don't even have a savings account, period. Like there's just mm-hmm. no, no money saved aside. Um, and I think hustle culture in a way has kind of just like really like became like a cancer on like a lot of young people really Mm -hmm. because it kind of feels like at least from my perspective like if you're not you know you see so many of these things where it's like oh if you're not a multi-millionaire by 30 like you're just a lazy piece of shit who doesn't want it bad enough like you just didn't try hard enough because there's just so many ways to make money dude like you can drop ship you can freelance you can write a book you can fucking consult people like and you know they make it seem like it's like Oh, like, dude, all I got to do is like sign up for this course for $200. And then in 60 days, I'll be a multimillionaire. Easy. But, you know, as as I've kind of learned through my own failures and kind of attempts at getting into like the hustle culture back in the day of like college and stuff is that, you know, if someone's selling you a course, they're making money selling a course. They're not making a money selling whatever fucking methodology they're teaching you about. Because if they did make their money doing that methodology, they wouldn't be teaching you it. Right. That's just that right you wouldn't make more competitors for your comp your your market intentionally that just doesn't make sense right from a business perspective and so i think a lot of people kind of get sucked into this kind of idea of like you know escaping the rat race or financial freedom and you know sipping a mai tai on the beach and like checking work from your laptop and making a shit ton of money just doing nothing when really there's a lot of value in kind of like work and and feeling like fulfilled for like what you're doing right like that intrinsic like you talk about like painting just for the fun of painting mm-hmm. and i think that's like really been lost on a lot of people and it really makes you feel like if every single thing you're doing isn't in some way like trying to make you more money you're wasting your time right yeah and so it just feels so like i mean i hate to use this word but like it feels toxic in a way mm-hmm. that like we've gotten to a point where like everything's commercialized everything's hustle culture everything has to be trying to like maximize returns and make it seem like anything any little hobby could be a business and all this thing and it's like no one really just like does things to like do things anymore 
Um, and I feel like that what probably leads to a lot of people really feeling like kind of depressed and and alone and kind of to like jump to that. Uh, I really want to talk about this with you was like the difficulty of like making friends in your twenties. Like this mm -hmm. is something that I know you and I have talked about a lot, but like, it's fucking hard to make like yeah. new friends. And, and, you know, I think you and I have a unique perspective here. Cause like we both work remote, right? Like mm -hmm. we both work from home. We don't go into the office. We don't really see our coworkers face to face unless we have like a big company wide meeting or get together or something like that. So tell me a little bit about like how you've been dealing with, you know um, I guess a smaller social circle since COVID and kind of like what, you know, have you done to help expand that? And, and what are some avenues that, you know, other people can who have, you know, also experienced this kind of look towards to to find new friends or, or people to hang out with? Yeah. So making friends in your 20s is definitely interesting, I think, because you have to go so out of your way to do it. So like in high school and college, it's a lot easier just because you are surrounded by people who are in your same life situation. They're about your age. They, you know, people have different amounts of like free time and interests, of course, but like in general, people have like a lot of overlap and just kind of like the type of socializing they want to do. And I was listening to a podcast and I think it was like people who are young need about 80 hours of close contact before in their brain they're kind of like considered like friends or close with this person. And then in adults that gets up to like over twice that. And so it's harder because we, A, aren't getting the same exposure. Like the only people you spend like 160 hours plus around would be your coworkers. And then like the majority of people have like their one like work bestie. And then mm -hmm. like, there's like, if you're friends with your coworkers, great, but there is some risk to that. And I don't think that you should make your main social circle your coworkers if you're in kind of a more like adult job. Like there are kind of like company politics and stuff that like get involved in that. Um, and so, you know, you got to go really out of your way to like just create that time. So I tried using Bubble BFF, <laughs> which like I know that like people are probably going to be like, oh, that's so weird and dorky that like you're finding like friends online. Like that's even more desperate than using like a dating app. But like, honestly, it's been kind of nice. It's like there are people like around my area who I know have a similar priority as me as like making a friendship and I don't think that like it's not like bad or embarrassing at all to like want more friends like that's a very human need and like establishing a support system I think is like really important and yeah. so yeah I've been using Bumble BFF we've like reconnected with a lot of like college friends since moving back to like the area and it's a lot easier now that it's not COVID I was like straight up like lonely for a while in like the DC because of COVID and like completely across the country and that type of thing um it's a lot like easier now yeah, yeah. absolutely and I think to like that point I mean like what is the worst thing you can do to someone what like the what what thing? is the worst thing that you think you can do to somebody as like a punishment silent treatment okay fair well, i would say solitary confinement right like oh, we have prisoners no yeah. oh, no no that's the same token right silent mm -hmm. treatment being left alone being by yourself mm -hmm. like we have prisoners who you know they have murdered people have mm -hmm. done horrific things and what is the number one thing we always go to to punish them to the most is put them in a fucking cage by themselves with no human contact like yeah. we are just so intrinsically desperate for like human to human connection that I think it's really like a tough thing. And, and it's kind of interesting because almost everybody I know that we've talked to or that I've even talked to, who's like kind of in our general age range, 
Um, so that's the same thing. Like, it's so hard to make friends. I can't make friends. It's so difficult. No one ever wants to like hang out. No one ever wants to do. And it's like, how is it that everyone feels this way, but no one can seemingly make friends? And I think it's to that point that you were talking about where it's like, when we were kids, the like barrier to entry to be a friend is very low, right? Mm -hmm. Like you learn my name, I learn your name. You let me borrow a toy and we're homies. Like you'll just be Mm -hmm. friends with them for years. And there's no issue with that. And as you get older, it feels like, you know, you've been hurt. You've gone through really like painful experiences with both friends and relationships and kind of life. And so you've started to like build your walls up and be a little more selective about like who you let in, who you let know this kind of private information about you and who you kind of trust with that. And so it becomes harder and harder and harder as you get older to let more people in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think something that I really appreciated or or learned uh, from Aunt Nicole when we went and visited her and Steve was like, the idea of segmenting friends for different activities, right? Mm -hmm. Like not everyone needs to be like your best friend who you do everything with, who you tell everything to and who you just like, you know, can do literally anything with at any time. I think there is something that like we should really explore more as like both literally us and anybody who's kind of in this boat of like, try to find friends that you can do specific things with Mm -hmm. that you like to do, whether that be, you know, playing board games, or maybe you like doing karaoke, or maybe you want to go hiking, or maybe you want to do, you know, play a kickball league or whatever, and just kind of get involved in more of like social activities in that sense. And just kind of like see where it goes and make some connections and acquaintances and like kind of get your social interaction that way, because it does get increasingly harder every year. It feels like to like trust someone in the same sense that like I do, you know, Zach or you or some of the other friends who I've had now for years. Um, I also think another thing that plays into it is that like humans are very much meant to be like community based like creatures and kind of like that's a little bit more emulated in school because you have like a class that you like do stuff with and kind of like maybe you all live within the same kind of like square mile. Um, but like, I wouldn't say that like out in the world is necessarily like community based. The majority of us are not living in like walkable communities. We're kind of like going back and forth to work. Mm -hmm. We're tired and it feels awkward to try to make friends in a way that it didn't in school. Like in school, it felt a lot more normal to kind of like walk up to someone and just kind of like start talking that seemed to have like similar interests to you. Well, like if I'm in the world, like, how would you even do that without them thinking that I'm like hitting on them or something? (laughs) Like... Yeah, that's a really interesting point, which I think like to kind of also tie it back to like, I guess, like the greater politics thing. Like I oftentimes think like that's the the number one issue in kind of American politics as a whole is that we are so like riggedly individual, right? Mm -hmm. Especially like you take like the the California experience. You live in your suburban home um, where you, you know, get into your little car. You open the garage, you drive out, you go to the store, you don't talk to fucking anybody. Mm-hmm. You do your shopping, you go to the self-checkout, just yourself, you leave, you get back in your car, you drive home, you shut the garage, you get out. That whole experience, even though you're like out in the world, and there's other people around you and everything, you literally don't interact with anybody. Mm-hmm. You're you're all in your own little bubble that entire time. And like you said, because there's no real like walkable communities, there's no real sense of kind of like um, community in general that... Yeah, you could be in your your own little bubble your entire existence, really, and never really get exposure to like other people or having conversations or like that kind of thing entirely if you don't want to. You have to actively push yourself to like go out and mingle and that kind of thing. Whereas it feels like in other countries in like Europe and around the world where they are more walkable, where they are more like community oriented around like how they were literally laid out and designed, it just kind of happens by circumstance. 
right? They're walking more together. There's public transportation. Maybe you talk to somebody on the metro or you talk to somebody on the train um, or you run into them at like a park or like these kind of things kind of just naturally lead to more communication, which in turn makes you feel like a greater sense of community. And so when shit goes wrong, you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. But because we're so individualized in our country, it's like when shit goes wrong, it's like, well, does it affect me and my little bubble? No. Well, all right. I mean, yeah, sucks for them. I think like to encourage community and societies, you have to prioritize and really make time for leisure. And mm-hmm. I don't think that that's something that we in America, the average American has. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that that's a big point there is like the lack of leisure time is like some of the lowest of any modern first world nation on the planet, right? Like we we have no paid vacation by law. We You don't have fucking free healthcare. So God forbid you get sick because then you're going to have to use your PTO time or your sick time or whatever the little bit of time you might get off for that. Um, and like, you know, and you, you don't even get you started on like paternity leave or maternity leave like either one of those like is ridiculous like you get a couple weeks in some cases and in some others you don't get any like it's just it's really sad that the amount of time that we focus towards productivity and work but then we're not necessarily seeing kind of the the rewards or the benefits of that on the back end right wages have kind of stagnated inflation's fucking through the roof people are more productive than they've ever been and they constantly are just getting hit with these like opinion pieces of like, oh, quiet quitting. Oh, this generation's so lazy, you know, and X, Y, Z is the problem when it's like you've you've created a world in which like there's no time for them to like do anything but work. And then you're not even rewarding them for that work. Um, I saw something yesterday that really kind of like blew my mind. It was very simple, but it really like shook me was that the only currency in existence is time. Right. And it's like, yeah, you can have money, but what does that money get you? It's just time, right? Whether that thing that you bought takes you a week to earn or two weeks to earn or a year to earn, it's all just time. And so all it really boils down to is how much is our time worth? And I think a lot of people are starting to like ask themselves that and and be like, well, what is the point of this? Like, why am I going to this job for 40 hours a week and I can't even like afford like a nice house. I can't even afford, you know, groceries. I'm mm-hmm. deciding whether to keep the lights on or the water. Like these kind of things are like really kind of an issue right now. And for a lot of people out there who are not really fortunate. And so it's kind of like, we don't value our, our time enough. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, another issue with that is also social media really right like tiktok is like really addicting and it does a really good job of keeping people like sucked in um and i know that you've kind of like read some books and worked on some stuff about kind of you know taking a break from your phone or like getting off of technology um you know for some people who are kind of feeling like they're addicted to to like the cycle of always being on their phone do you have any like tips or advice for like what would help kind of someone break that or, or get a break I don't have any social media notifications that pop up on my locked screen. Hmm. And so, um, you know, you find that that helps. Oh yeah. People get a little irritated. Like I've had like a friend (laughs) ask me, why does it take you 45 minutes to reply each message? Hmm. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I never, since like turning them all off, I never get distracted from a task in the middle of it without kind of like consciously reaching for my phone like when i check my instagram now i still check it too much but it is i do check it less because it's like a choice that i'm picking it up not oh i have to answer this message sure 
Um, and so turning off the notifications of like now, 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 it really makes a lot bigger of a difference than I thought it would. Because also like apps just send you so many notifications for nothing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives you like this go, go, go mentality of like, I have to take care of this and this and this and this person for work is asking me this. And LinkedIn for some reason has 10 notifications despite the fact that I don't post. So how is that even possible? And so in a way, it's kind of just like taking some tasks like off the table and it's like people are like oh i need my phone for work it's like but do you Mm -hmm. do you like you can probably mute your teams (laughs) yeah i have like the important ones come through still like i still have like my email text message but like strangely enough since turning off my notifications i haven't really missed anything important and it's been like six months so that's great no i think that's an interesting point because like in sales like a big tactic is urgency right a sense of like, you need to make a decision now. Like we need a yes or a no, like decide right now, do it, do it, sign it. Like that really does like set something off in our brain. We're like, oh fuck. Okay. I got to, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about notifications in that sense that like, that is what they're preying on is that sense of urgency of like, mm-hmm. oh, check me, check me. Look, I'm going mm-hmm. off. Like look at this. Um, so yeah. Okay. So turn the notifications off. I know there's also some things about like, you know, limiting like screen time or like app time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done something like that? Yeah, I have a two hour limit. It's not like a real limit because I still pass it sometimes. But what it does is it's like, okay, I have an awareness that I have spent two hours total of my day doom scrolling and kind of just forces me to like check in a little bit. So what if is I, doom scrolling? Doom scrolling is when you just sit there with your phone and you just scroll and scroll and you don't want to be doing it and you're bored of the content and you're scrolling past the content because it's boring and you don't even want to see it but you can't pull yourself away because you're addicted to your phone is kind of how i interpret doom scrolling to be um and so it's kind of i have surpassed it but i do have kind of like a personal boundary with myself where if i hit that two hour mark and i have not completed everything on my to-do list then i gotta put the phone down that's just what has to happen Mm. (laughs) and so i think like maybe identify some of your like problem apps for me that being TikTok (laughs) and maybe put like a screen limit and like I think that like it's not good to like completely limit yourself you know like social media is really no longer optional Mm. but like setting and so you're not like bad or anything for like being interested in social media like wanting like to consume certain types of media it's entertaining for a reason you know we're addicted to it for reasons. Right. But I think setting boundaries with yourself about it has been really beneficial to me because like it's kind of sad but like I don't know a year ago today my top hobby would have been like media consumption and like that's not cute. And so since like putting the phone away a little bit like I have gotten to like develop more hobbies you've probably noticed that I've been drawing and painting mm-hmm. like doing that type of thing and I think that that's it's it's definitely better for my point. <laughs> so kind of, I guess, bringing it uh, to an end here, I think there's only like one little thing I think that I really wanted to get done to. And that was kind of looking into the future and kind of like where you see kind of like where you've come from the last couple of years, all the skills you've developed, you got your new hobbies, you got your new business, mm-hmm. um, you know, contracting, all that fun stuff. What do you see, you know, in the next five years and and are you optimistic pessimistic or kind of neutral about like the greater worldview as well i am optimistic about my and our like personal trajectory and pessimistic about the worlds 
Um, I don't think that the way American capitalism is going is going to be a positive one. And I think about climate change a lot and, you know, we're kind of in like a not great place for that. You know, I'm kind of of the mind of it's like, is it even ethical to have kids at this point with the way the like the planet's going? Um, and so unfortunately I have taken a cynical turn just I think in like what I've observed in the past two years how our government handled COVID just the way the world is turning I have some major concerns for like the global scale of things um personally if all the other people can stop with their nonsense I think I'm doing pretty good (laughs) like I'm really excited about this like digital marketing stuff I think like you're doing really well in your career I'm excited about the possibility of like putting down roots and like we could like buy a house. I could see that being a realistic possibility in like a five-year timeline. Um, yeah. <laughs> so excited for like the personal stuff, skeptical of the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. And if you had any parting words of wisdom for anybody who's, you know, either trying to get into digital marketing or kind of just like a young little creative trying to find their space in the world, what what, what, what do you think you would say? I think take calculated risks while you're young and trust your gut. I think if there's like a job or like a passion or place you want to move, the easiest time to do that is when you're young and it matters a lot less. So like you're an adult. If you want to try something, then you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Miss Biggs, for joining me today. I appreciate you and all your answers. Um, and we will be back next week. So take care. Thanks so much.